The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Would you join me one more time for prayer before we get to God's Word? And Father, the time has arrived. Um, In the words of Nora, it's preaching time, perhaps. Um, But it is time, God, to, to dive in. to to seek your face. And that is my prayer, um, that every every soul here present would have an earnest seeking to know you. That is the pursuit of the Christian, to seek you, to seek your presence continually, trusting in your grace and your promise to reward those who diligently seek you. And so, God, we do that this morning, and we pray for your blessing upon the preaching of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, it is a great <laughs> delight to having God to, uh, to be preaching this morning, to be in God's word. And we are in Ephesians. The two passages we'll be preaching upon this morning are verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. And I'm going to begin, maybe I'll stall a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to begin our time in God's Word this morning by calling your attention to the crossing of the Red Sea. Knowing all of us here, we know that scene well, right? Uh, don't, don't turn there, but, but you recall the account in Exodus 14. You know, the Israelites, they've, they've left Egypt they have plundered the Egyptians on their exodus, having jewelry and, and goods and animals and so forth. You know, they're just given to them. Just, here you go, here you go. No weapons, though, to protect themselves with, but everything else. And, and God directs them to this, to a shut-in location with the Red Sea, this massive body of water before them, and mountains on every side, except for which they came almost like a cul-de-sac, if you will. It's, it's really a very vulnerable position to be in if your enemy is in hot pursuit on your heels, which in this case was the case. You know, Pharaoh was, and his army, were, they were on hot pursuit. You know, so they were trapped. The Israelites are trapped, helpless. There's no way out. No way around this large body of water to flee to. And it's, it's futile to, to turn and face their enemy because, you know, they got no weapons. They're not warriors to fight against them. They're helpless. There they stood confronting that which was insurmountable. Like, what to do? God steps in, remember? And instructs Moses to take his staff that is in his hand and stretch it over the sea to see him, to see God work wonders in saving his people. Moses obeys, and the Israelites, over the course of the night, this wasn't just like instantaneous, it was all night, with the water being a wall to them on their right and a wall to them on their left, they passed through safely on dry land 
to the other side to look back on their enemies who get swallowed up by the water. When Moses, instructed by God, stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course, when morning appeared, isn't that interesting? All night through, morning appeared is when the sea came as, Israel, as Pharaoh and his army is just charging in on him and it just swallows them up. They all perish, all of them. And immediately following this scene is, is a time of dancing and, and, and singing praise and worship songs to God that's led by Miriam. Okay, it's like two pages of that in Exodus 15. And so now, with this brief recap, listen to the account of this as recalled by Psalm 77. And if you'd like, you can turn there. Psalm 77 and, and allow a visual to take place in your mind's eye as we read this account. Turn there if you'd like. The writer of this psalm, verse 4, is so troubled he cannot speak. Okay? And we've been there before, right? Anyone been there before where you just, you got no words, you are so troubled? That's what the writer of the Psalms is, is like right now. And he is, he's seeking consolation for his soul. And so in doing so, he looks back at this account of crossing the Red Sea. So picking up in verse 6, he writes, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. That's frightful imagery, is it not? Do you guys picture that? Does a picture of that formulate in your mind's eye the, the intensity of the situation that must have been just unreal? I mean, look at the language there. The earth shook and trembled along, the, along with the sea. You know, there's lightning striking all around. It's lighting up the world. Stepping through the midst of the sea with a wall of water to their right and to their left on both sides all through the night following the invisible, but they, they know this is God's path through the sea. His footsteps were not seen. And that was a distance, right? To go all night as black, except for the flashes of lightning. That was a terrifying distance. I imagine them wondering fearfully with every step, like, 
is this wall gonna come down in a moment, right? I mean, that was all the way through testing them. Who knows what they were visual or seeing in that moment, but it's just intense. The wind, the flashes of lightning, the trembling sea and earth, immense and intense circumstances. And Pharaoh's army, mind you, is still in hot pursuit. They can't turn around. A terrifying thing the Israelites faced. Insurmountable odds against them. Confronting something they couldn't get around. Immense and intense circumstances that without God's help to pass through, they would be crushed. Well, strangely so, similar to the psalmist, finding consolation to his soul by this account, I find myself, I find comfort by it to my soul as being illustrative of encountering God's blessings. Stay with me. Of God's blessings found in Scripture, which at times can render us speechless and overwhelmed. Church, when one considers the magnitude of what they are, the weight of the wonder of their glory, it is beyond measure. The blessings we have as a part of God's plan through faith in Jesus Christ are immense. Immense. Confronting something just massive, something that is beyond you, something insurmountable. You can't get around it. God's blessings are like this. They are that big. And as serious thought is given to them, which is when you seek the Lord, you do. When serious thought is given to them, you are rightly intimidated. It's rightly intimidating. True contemplation of them is intense. That's why Paul prays for the Ephesians in the third chapter of this epistle we're going through. That's why he prays to have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Why does he pray that? That strength to comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Why does he pray that? Because, church, because the more, the more we are able to comprehend it, the more it has direct impact on our love and devotion to him. We pray for this because God's love is so immense and so intense in what it is, we need God's strength, not our own, but God, God's strength to be able to comprehend it, comprehend these, these glorious blessings of God's love towards us in Christ. To greater measure. For when we do, when we do, God gets bigger and bigger and we get smaller and smaller. And our lives as a result grow in greater love for him and devotion to him. And this is a good thing, church. Like, we want this. We want this. And my, my delight this morning is to take hold of the text in our hand, the God's word, the text that we're going to go through together, like, like Moses' staff, and step into these blessings by faith 
with God's help to walk through it individually and as a church to reach the other side where we sing and dance about the wonders of God's great love towards us further comprehended by the strength he provides. So, we'll meet three of these blessings. Three of these immense blessings in verses 11 and 12. Blessings we we can't go around, but only by faith in Christ we can step forward and immerse ourselves in beholding the glory, his glory, by the immense blessings we have as a part of God's plan through Jesus Christ. For we are church. We are. We spoke about this community group. That was like the closing point, the blessings. We are immensely blessed as a part of God's plan through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. And the first immense blessing I invite you to to join me stepping into is our possession. Our possession, the first half of verse 11. Blessing of possession. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Possession, like inheritance. Church, this is beyond measure. It's beyond measure, saints. Unsurpassed worth given to unworthy sinners. And have obtained. You know, it's, it's already ours by faith. We just haven't acquired possession of it yet. What do, you, what do you think of when you think of our inheritance from God? Where does your thoughts go? Our possession that is kept secure in the heavens for us, mind you, by the power of God. Praise God for that. We'd, we'd lose it. We, wouldn't, we couldn't contain it. But what do your thoughts go to? Eternal life? That's probably one of the first ones, right? A very common one. Eternal life. You ever try to imagine living forever? They were just like, I want to try to do that. Just like, what what does that feel like, right? You ever try that? Giving serious thought to a never-ending life? Doesn't your head begin to hurt when giving effort to comprehend something like that, which is beyond you? How about eternity past? Eternity past. Like, Like, for some reason, perhaps eternity forward has, has some grip to it, that you can kind of get a little bit of a hold on that, but eternity back, eternity past, that God knew us before the foundations of the world, before they were laid, that God always existed, he just has always been there, God has no beginning, he's always been. If you're like me, perhaps you've gone down that, that thought path, being filled with wonder right before you get squished, Okay? squished by the weight of it all. I mean, we are, we are exceedingly limited in our mind's ability to fully comprehend these marvelous truths about God. How about no darkness? No darkness. God's glory illuminates the heavens. There's, there's no night. There, there's no sun to shine. Only the splendor and brilliance of our maker giving light to everything, everything, everywhere. You have, have you tried to, to picture that in your mind's eye? There's no sun. We rise up this morning. It was dark. The sun came up. That won't exist in heaven, right? In our inheritance. 
What about not tiring out? Runners yesterday say amen to that, right? <laughs> okay? Not tiring out, never getting sick or injured. I mean, how amazing is that? Full sprint run, leaping and darting with no lack of vigorous energy or ability. Feeling, feeling like you could just go faster and faster, and you can, right? You, you, you can, but, and you only stop because you want to stop. I mean, isn't that fun to imagine? Amazing blessings we have possession of in Christ Jesus, and, and more can be mentioned. Crystal Sea, the Golden Streets, we're judging angels? Like, what? I mean, that's crazy stuff. That's so far beyond. Yet, yet, as marvelous as each one of them are, they're secondary. They're all secondary. They do not exist without the one true inheritance we have obtained in Christ Jesus, our Savior. God. God is our inheritance. We get God. Being with God in his presence, enjoying God, basking in his glory, we get God. We don't deserve God. We're guarded and made holy and blameless before him in Christ. That's why we're hidden in Christ, right? The God whom the Israelites rightly feared for their lives when he descended upon Mount Sinai, the God pictured for us in Psalm 18, when he bowed the heavens and came down, he made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The clouds couldn't contain the light, right? I love that. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows. Those are lightning bolts. And he scattered them. The fla- he flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Not even his mouth, just his nostrils. I mean, Boom. This God, whom we are frightfully guarded by these elements of creation, right? That's why they're there, to shield us, if you will, to protect us from God's holiness, from his holiness, his majestic power that no one living is able to stand in his presence. Our great and awesome God. You can insert the words terrible and dreadful in the place of awesome. They're synonymous with that word. And they all are fitting descriptions of our all-consuming fire God. It is the same God by faith in Christ that we Christians get to enjoy the presence of without fear of condemnation. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God, but the righteous, the righteous shall be glad They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy before God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's Revelations 21. That's the end, right? We're with God. 
by faith in Christ, made holy and blameless before him in his righteousness, cleansed and made holy by Jesus's atoning blood, shed for us on the cross, sanctified by his sacrifice, so that we, through faith in him, may be holy and blameless and jubilant with joy in the presence of God, of him who dwells in unapproachable light. We get God, church. Enjoying the favor, the kindness, the indescribable beauty, the matchless worth and delight found only in him. Church, we get God. No longer separated from him by sin. No longer seeing dimly through the eyes of faith, but eyes wide open, uninhibited, beholding of his excellence, his eternal glory without fear of death or condemnation or annihilation. Pleasures, pleasures forevermore in God that never fade. Never. Boredom is not a word in the heavens. The word doesn't exist. Not there. Exploring the glories of God Almighty will never have an end. There is no peak to be reached. We just keep climbing and climbing and explore for all eternity the delights, the rich, beautiful inheritance we have in God. We, say it with me, church, we get God. Have you thought on this God of ours? Our God forever and ever. We can't get around God. We can't climb over God, but we can because of Jesus Christ by faith in him. We may step forward and immerse ourselves in him, beholding his glory. Psalm 16. The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. For you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We get God. Exploring the wonders, the greatness the majesty, the supreme worthiness of God cannot be exhausted. It simply cannot. We will never cease in the exploration of his holiness, of his glory, of his wonder. It will never be spent. In him, in Jesus Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. That's the first immense blessing we have as a part of God's plan through faith in Jesus Christ. The blessing of our possession in Christ, our inheritance. We take possession of that which we have rights to only through our sonship by faith in Jesus Christ. 
we get God. What is the second immense blessing we'll encounter this morning in these two verses, 11 and 12? The blessing of predestination. The blessing of predestination, the second half of verse 11. Predestined to be a part of God's plan. You know, the opening of this epistle, verses 1 through 14, has a building emphasis on this. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And now, 11b, according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. I myself find it hard not to chuckle within on how the emphasis of this is concluded. The one place where me, myself, and I have perfect wisdom and counsel. Everywhere, everywhere else, it doesn't. You know, if we, you or I, are to be wise, we are to seek out godly counsel for help, right? Seek it out and heed it. Not that, not that your life is dictated by others, but, but sincerely listen to godly counsel provided out of loving care and concern for your well-being and allow it to influence your plans. Proverbs 20:18. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance wage war. On the other hand, Proverbs 21:30. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail the Lord. In other words, who is going to provide God with counsel? The best one is himself. So I, I chuckle within as I get this picture in my mind of God working this out. Like, what do you think of this, self? What do you think of this plan? I like it. It's selfless, it's humble, and it's glorious. Well, thank you. I, I, t- I tend to agree. How about you, me? What are your thoughts? Could there be any other way? Your glory in all its exceeding excellence is displayed perfectly for all eternity to the praise of your glorious grace. Well stated, me. We totally think alike. So, me, myself, and I, do we we agree then? Yes! Excellent. All right, let's, let's execute as we've determined to do so. Okay? No, I don't see that as actually being the way it went down, but, but the truth of the matter remains. God, 
in himself with perfect, humble, and holy, self-generated, wonderful counsel, determines with excellent wisdom his purposes and sovereignly works them out according to his plan. Isaiah 40.13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Psalm 33.11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. This doctrine of predestination we face before us this morning, it's not isolated here. We know this, that we find it elsewhere in Scripture. Deuteronomy 9, Exodus 10, Psalm 12, Romans chapter 8 and 9, Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Acts 4, verse 28, 2 Timothy 1, 9, Matthew 13, 20, John 15, 16, just, just to name a handful. So, like the Red Sea, you know, we, just, we can't go around it. And admittedly, it is an intimidating doctrine. Intimidating to the point we may be tempted to move right past it and not give much attention to it at all. You know, not, I don't want to linger there because of its intimidating nature. It's just, it's just too much. I'm going I'm to move on to other doctrines of my salvation while working out my salvation with fear and trembling. Not, not spend time there because it's, it troubles me. And I say this as one who understands. Like, I get that. I totally get that. The weight of this doctrine is heavy. It's like, it's like chewing on meat that more, has more sinew than meat. You just keep chewing and chewing and chewing. I'm like, am I, am I ever going to be able to swallow this? As we study the word of God, we will confront it throughout the scriptures. The prophets speak of it. You'll find it in the Psalms. The apostles speak of it. Jesus speaks of it. Therefore, we we must not avoid it or try to avoid it, this wonderful doctrine, but in faith, step forward and walk through it with God's help. Individually and as a church, to reach the other side like the Israelites who fearfully walked through the Red Sea following God's path, though his footprints were not seen, that we too, you know, safely arrived to the other side with song and dance about the, the wonders of God's great deeds towards us. My hope is that conversations are, are able to take place around this blessed doctrine of predestination amongst those who may have differing viewpoints. Like, that's Okay but engage in conversation. Seek the scriptures. I mean, isn't this where we grow and sharpen one another? When we go to God's word and explaining why it is, what we, why it is we believe what we believe about these things of God? You know, because this is not a salvation issue, but it does have great benefit in sharpening one another with mutual aim to grow more and more in the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Famous preachers, the famous preachers Wesley and Whitfield provide examples to us of this. Of these, these were two powerful men of God 
who held differing positions on this doctrine. And granted, their friendship for a time was fractured by this differing, by their differing views. But they eventually reconciled as dear friends. And they saw the matter as non-essential and had agreement to just differ on the subject. But guaranteed, they talked about it and wrestled through God's word on this glorious doctrine. So ourselves, let's not certainly not divide over this, but rather humble ourselves that we may grow together as we discuss through this wonderful teaching from God's word. You know, it was, it was at the height of Wesley and Whitfield's controversy when Whitfield quoted the reformer John Bradford. And I love this quote. John Bradford said, quoted by Whitfield, he said, let a man go to the grammar school of faith and repentance before he goes to the university of election and predestination. What a perfect quote. I love it. And that's just it, right? That's the, the heart behind having these conversations. And so the, the, the wisdom of this statement, of this quote, this is the path I, I invite you to, to step into a measure this morning with me. And we'll do so two steps by two questions. The first one is what predestination isn't. And the second one is what predestination is. Okay? So the first step we'll take in walking through the, the blessing of predestination is what predestination isn't. As stated earlier, it's not a means of salvation. So allow me to put this out here plainly. Just I want it plain as day. Listen up. You can believe in the doctrine of predestination, of being chosen before the foundations of the world, listen, and not be, I say again, not be a child of God. Not be a true Christian. Just because one adheres to these doctrines doesn't assure them that they are adhered to Christ. The Christian is in Christ. Their life is hidden with Christ in God. They are bonded forever to him by faith. It is not an intellectual assent. Believing things about Jesus or even doctrines about Jesus is not the same as believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want you to understand this, friend. Don't be deceived. The demons believe and tremble. They know and quote scripture. They are not of the elect. They are not chosen vessels of mercy. They are not of the people of God. Following suit to this, It's not living as you please. This only confirms your just condemnation. An attitude of heart by one who responds this way is depraved of truth. They are depraved of truth in their heart. They are deceived and not born again. They are are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Nor is it indifference, 
as if nothing I do matters. No, this also shows you only have a wrongful understanding of it in your mind and the glory and beauty of it hasn't reached your heart to bring about humility and excitement. For on the contrary, as we shift now to what predestination is, taking our next step forward, predestination is, according to Scripture, what every true Christian is by God. And therefore, regardless of one's view on predestination, the Christian marks remain. The powerful work of the Spirit of God is in their lives. And it's bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. God's chosen ones love him and love his word and love his people. God's elect worship Christ and live their lives to make much of him. God's children, predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, joyfully come under his rule and reign in their hearts and seek to know him more and more that further surrender of their lives would belong to him. The predestined, according to his purpose, believer, is one who hates sin, despises sin, hates every evil, and clings to all that is good, holy, and pure. They are bothered by every sinful, impure thought, by anything that would stain them that is not of Christ. They can't stand it. They feel it as a burden, as a, as a despised flesh, as Paul speaks about. Like, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? That's the believer. Those marks of a true Christian. There is a radical, radical difference between one who may adhere to certain doctrines without life change and one who adheres to Christ and is being changed. A heaven and hell difference. God's elect are ones who feel completely unworthy to know the one who called them to himself and makes them worthy. Who has chosen them and set them apart as his treasured possessions. His treasured possessions for his kingdom. God's elect are ones who are excited to be ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Like we have the immense blessing being predestined as a part of God's plan through faith in Christ to be involved in God's work of seeking and saving the lost. For the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus, came for what? To seek and save the lost. And we, church, his body, continue that work in the power of the Holy Spirit till he returns. There is power in the name of Jesus. Earth-shattering, prison-bar-bursting, resurrection power. Power in the name of Jesus who will return when that work is complete. And so, since he has yet to return, 
we know, therefore, that there are those yet to repent. Those lost needing to be found, who still need to hear. They still need to hear the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ, by which they will be saved. By no other name are they going to be saved. The very same message that saved us and the one we share as ambassadors for Christ. And we don't know who that is. I have no idea who that is. So there's a freedom there. We we just share it with, with any and all that opportunity allows us to do so. There's a freedom there, an absolute freedom. And we do so gently. We do so respectfully. We do, th- do so with confidence in God, not ourselves. We leave up the saving to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit saves. I am an ambassador giving the message of salvation. Our part is to share Jesus Christ crucified. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. It's ridiculous. A dying God? But for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is a calling upon their life that creates what it commands. And I love that quote. That's Piper's. Sorry, that's Piper's. When the elect are called by God, it is a call that creates what it commands. That's the power. And it moves mountains and it breaks through every hardened heart that God determines, you are my child. And we don't know who that is, but we have the freedom, the gift to be participating in that work. It is so glorious. The immense blessing of being predestined as a part of God's plan through faith in Christ. And this results, which results in another immense blessing and our third and final one in consideration for the passage before us this morning. And that is the immense blessing of purpose the immense blessing of purpose. Verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Blessing of purpose, to the praise of his glory. God is glorified in saving a remnant for his own possession. The glory of the sons of God revealed. That which, church, this is wild. That which all creation, groaning together, groaning together in the pains of childbirth, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I mean, what a wild verse that's saying there. But true. But true, creation is groaning in a sense. It's been subjected to futility, not willingly. I love that. It's, that cracks me up. I don't want this, but we, from our fallen nature, did it. And it waits to that day where it is the glory of the sons of God are revealed. That's the purpose. That's that, that end, the fullness of times where everything is, is brought to the way it should be, restored by Jesus Christ. God is glorified in saving a remnant for his own possession. Glory of the sons of God revealed. As a a part of God's plan, in in the display of his glory to all creation for all eternity, is his 
church is his church in which Christ is the head, the fullness of Christ, to the praise of God's glory, his body, the church adorned as a bride, holy and pure and forever united in love, to the praise of his glory. Our story, our salvation story, and our stories that intertwine with one another, both in the generation and the generation we occupy now, those in the past and those yet to come, we all share in the, redemptive, in the redemption song of the ages, glorifying God on high for his grace lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God is glorified in his church to the praise of his glorious grace. Unworthy sinners rescued by grace, raised and adopted as children by grace, brought safely home by grace, kept forever secure by grace, who are on display for the coming ages as jewels in our king's crown, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And we'll be spending time there in chapter 2 of Ephesians, because that's where that verse comes from. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, the immense blessing of purpose, our purpose to the praise of his glory. By faith in Christ, we, the church, as a, are a part of this. We are a part of this. The purpose of our lives is for that purpose, to the praise of his glory. Resting in his promise that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God's plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the ruler and authorities in the heavenly places. Is there any other purpose to aspire to? Aspire to? Heavens no. I mean, that's, that's the aim. That's the peak, to live to the glory of God. And, and it is when we operate there, here and now, by faith, where we have fullness of joy, even though we haven't acquired possession of it. But we can operate there by faith. It's the greatest joy. Dear saints, we are immensely blessed as a part of God's plan through faith in Jesus Christ. The blessing of, of possession, our inheritance, we get God. We get God. The blessing of predestination, we are chosen by God's grace to be a part of his plan to unite all things in Christ. The blessing of purpose, we exist for the great privilege to glorify God for all eternity, all eternity. In light of these blessings, in light of these blessings, let us, 
exhort each other and encourage one another to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray. And Father, in closing, I want to open in prayer by reading a saint's prayer to you, song to you, which captures the heart, I believe, of this in so many great, great ways. In Psalm 63, O oh God, you are my God. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And Jesus, 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 you, it's in you. We're able to say such words and same with, with a believing heart that they are true and to know that they are heard and received. You, God, Lord Jesus, you, you gave your life. You are the sacrifice, the mediator between a holy, unapproachable God and sinful man. You made the way. You are the way. You are the path of life. And so we thank you, Jesus. For these blessings would not exist if you did not fulfill the Father's plan. And so I pray, God, that you would help us, strengthen us to be able to comprehend this love both now and in the days to come, that we are seekers, earnest seekers to know you and to grow in our understanding of this love, that truly our lives would be transformed from one, to glory, from one glory to the next, reflecting more of the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I ask this for every soul that is present here. Activate your church in such glorious ways. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.